politics and above religion, a moral authority exists known globally as the ageless wisdom. It is the study of consciousness, the mystery of awareness, which cannot be measured, yet will not be denied. Stay tuned as we explore consciousness, the fundamental nature of reality. Welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School with Michael Benner. Hello, friends. Good afternoon, and welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School on KPRK in Los Angeles. Happy to be with you, and hope you're making it a habit to join us every Tuesday at 1 o'clock, streaming for the world at kpfk.org, and, of course, heard locally here at 90.7 FM. My guest today is in Massachusetts, in Amherst, as a matter of fact. He's been with us before, but it's been a lot of years, more than I have fingers to count, and it's a pleasure to have him back with us. He's a movement attorney and activist and the co-founder and president of a group called Free Speech for People, John Bonifaz. John, good afternoon, and welcome to KPFK. Good afternoon, Michael. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. Uh, I was thinking uh, it was back in the Downing Street days, I think, in the Bush administration that we last spoke. Yes, it was a while ago. Different era. <laughs> Different era, but some of the same problems, it seems. Unfortunately so, yes. Well, I speak for so many people, John, when I say how much we appreciate the dedication of women and men like yourself, be they attorneys or in any profession, to devote your life to social and political and one might even say economic activism. It all sort of folds together into we need to be ever vigilant if we're going to maintain our civil rights and our freedoms, our our liberties. It seems so odd to me when I see this alt-right white supremacist element talking about their rights and their freedom and their liberty and don't tread on me and carrying the American flag, the Confederate flag and the swastika side by side. It's just, it's just mind boggling when what we're facing, it seems is some sort of neo-fascist or quasi Nazi authoritarianism and autocracy of some sort. I wonder how you feel as a lifelong activist about this current era we find ourselves in. Well, first, I would say I'm honored to do this work. And alongside so many people all across the country, I'm inspired by the activism that we're seeing in local communities everywhere around the nation. And and I've been inspired for many years by the people I've been able to come in contact via this work. I think this current moment we're in is a very dangerous one for our democracy and our constitution. And it's why we at Free Speech People have been very engaged in fighting back to protect our democracy, our right to vote, and our republic. I do agree that the authoritarianism that is emerging from certain quarters in this country is a real threat. And, of course, it culminated with the insurrection on, on January Six of this year where we saw thousands of people incited by then-President Donald Trump to engage in a seditious attack on the U.S. Capitol to try to overturn uh, the 2020 
election, but it wasn't, unfortunately, a one-off. I think the threat of the insurrection remains with us, and I think it will remain if we do not remain vigilant on our end in ensuring that people are held accountable, including Donald Trump, for what happened on January 6th, and that we strengthen the, the safeguards for our democracy and for our right to vote. As popular as Trump is, I think if we look at all Americans, his popularity may only be 20 or 25%. Right. But when it comes to the half of America that bothers to register and then vote, his popularity approaches 45%, maybe even 50%. That's 75 million people yes. voted for Trump is a little scary, whatever happens to Donald Trump. And I'm wondering how much of it, in your mind, is just based in this uh, uh, fear that white people have that they're losing something by recognizing the multicultural nature of democracy, that there's something very white or Caucasian about America that's going to be lost if we recognize the humanity and more specifically the right to vote of all American citizens. I think that's at the core of it. I mean, Derek Johnson, the president of the NAACP, has made clear that, you know, white supremacy and democracy are not compatible. And that's what's at stake here is that those who want to subscribe to white supremacy will do so to try to overturn our democracy. And that was what the insurrection was about. I do think that there is a huge fear among many of these white supremacists that a multiracial democracy uh, is is taking hold. Uh, and they didn't like it when Barack Obama was in the White House, the first African-American to occupy the Oval Office. Uh, and, and they thought, you know, Donald Trump was going to, bring them back to some other era when white supremacy could rule. And I do think that's a a core of this. Uh, You know, there is also no question an enormous amount of disinformation and fear that's fomented on social media, on these various different channels of communication that people receive. Uh, And these companies, you know, are engaged in spreading that kind of disinformation and those lies and that hatred and threats of violence. And they, they have no liability right now whatsoever under federal law for doing so. So that's a factor as well. Uh, but you are correct that at the core is really this idea on the part of those who, who have this authoritarian nature to, to want to overturn a legitimate election that they, that they fear multiracial democracy taking hold. I think make America great again is make America white again. Correct. There was a movie called Pleasantville that used color as a metaphor for a lot of things. I don't know if you ever saw the film. I did. No, I did. Yeah. For those who in the audience who never saw it, it's initially shot in black and white and It's about a 50s kind of leave-it-to-beaver, you know, culture or middle-class mentality and white neighborhoods, oblivious to what's happening in the ghettos and the barrios 
and even the rural areas of the country. And then slowly, because of the behavior of certain artistic people in the community, they discover color, and the flowers become colorful. And then this one particular artist discovers color and learns to use color. And it's this beautiful metaphor for diversity and richness. Right. And if you ask a white supremacist what it is they're losing, I don't think they'd be able to tell you. No, I I agree. I think the problem is the failure to understand the lack of education or just the specter that comes out of the shadows of ignorance. Absolutely. And the fears that are, are driven alongside that. You know, Officer Harry Dunn, who was one of the officers that testified before the House Select Committee to investigate the January 6th insurrection, uh, he talked about being in the Capitol the day of the insurrection and how this mob of people were, were coming in uh, and they made it clear that no one, in their view, they said to him, no one voted for Joe Biden. And he said, you know, I'm, I'm usually, as an officer, I'm not engaged in talking politics uh, back to people. But I said, well, I voted for Joe Biden. Uh, and he, he's African-American. And, and all these white rioters, they, they went into a frenzy, yelling racial epithets at him and saying this guy voted for for Joe Biden, it was almost like they were they were shocked to to be right in front of somebody, let alone a, a black man who voted uh, for Joe Biden. So, yeah, I, I I do I do think that there's an enormous amount of fear that underlies this racial hatred, and I, and I think that we have to address this head on. We can't claim that we are now going to compromise with white supremacists. We can't claim that we're going to, you know, work across the aisle, so to speak, uh, in in a situation in which one party uh, chooses to effectively erase the history of the insurrection, at least the leadership of it, refuses to even investigate what happened, and refuses to stop promoting the big lie that there was somehow a fraudulent election in 2021 when there was not there was no evidence of that i don't see how you compromise with that what what we need to do is make clear that democracy will be upheld that we will end the filibuster to protect democracy to pass the for the people act and the john lewis voting rights advancement act and other important bills that protect our democracy and we will not stand for the suppression of the vote anywhere in this country. Those are basic principles that we need to fight for. And what troubles me is this notion that somehow six months after the insurrection, we're moving on, that we're not going to hold accountable the insider in chief, Donald Trump or his associates, uh, that we're, you know, not going to engage in any criminal investigation and prosecution of them. Uh, and that even the filibuster, that Jim Crow relic, as President Obama has called it, will not get removed as a barrier to our democracy because somehow it would, as President Biden has recently said, cause chaos and shut everything down. Well, I'll tell you what's shutting everything down right now. 
are these voter suppression laws and these attacks on our democracy and this continued threat of an insurrection happening again. That's what's shutting everything down. So I, I am quite concerned that the response to this is not what it should be from the leadership of our government. I want to talk about that. I want to touch on the big tech uh, argument that you made a few minutes ago, and we'll return to, to that and the impact of social media and the lack of accountability on behalf of these big tech uh, uh, monoliths, (laughs) these giants, social media uh, cartels. But let's stay with this voter suppression. This is so timely, so important, so ironic that an insurrection would create an opportunity to return to Jim Crow and to expand on a Southern strategy that Republicans initiated in the late 60s when Richard Nixon, following the civil rights laws that Lyndon Johnson signed in 65 and again in 68, maybe we should let some of the younger people in the audience know about the Southern strategy of the late 60s and and how that's uh, now become Jim Crow too. Yes, I mean, the, the Southern strategy of the late 60s was designed to try to uh, suppress the vote, uh, to engage in attacks on those who were seeking to uphold what was coming out of the Voting Rights Act in 1965 and out of the Civil Rights Movement, um, and to foment racial uh, hatred, to divide, uh, really, uh, the country further uh, along racial lines. Um, and I think what we're seeing with this current moment is that the insurrection is very much now tied to these voter suppression laws. The fomenting of the big lie that there was somehow a fraud in the last general election, which, again, there was no evidence of it. That big lie continues and is being used as the basis for why state legislatures not just in the South, but in Arizona and in the Midwest and uh, Southwest, so forth. The, these these bills that are pending in many state legislatures all across the country are built off of that big lie. Uh, they're built off of this falsehood that there needs to be a crackdown on voter fraud, which doesn't exist in any, any real way. Uh, and that's what's really uh, created this fight now. So people are going to go to the polls in the next election cycle, and if they're in one of these states where voter suppression laws have been passed, they're going to find it's much more difficult to vote. They're going to find that the mail-in voting opportunities are not there like they were in 2020. They may find that early voting has been cut back. They may find that if they're standing in line uh, for long hours at a time, that if people try to provide them food or water, those people could be arrested and put in jail for doing so. Uh, They may find that after they cast uh, their ballots, election officials, if they're properly counting those ballots, could be removed from the counting process uh, and the results be changed because the state legislature doesn't like what the results are and uh, effectively taking away uh, the proper counting of the votes from election officials. So this is what's at stake. Now, I think one of the challenges with voting rights is that for a lot of people, 
they're not engaged in exercising those voting rights every day, right? I mean, the fact is, this is something that happens come around election time. And so what, and many of these architects of these voter suppression laws know that. They know they can often in the dark of night pass these bills and hope that their constituents won't pay much attention because they won't realize what's happened until many months later when elections occurring. But we need to sound the alarm now about that. And we need to make it clear again to those in Congress and in the White House that they are, have a duty uh, to block these bills by passing federal legislation that effectively overturns uh, these state voter suppression laws. I know your organization, like a few others, is working to create legislation, support legislation, as well as litigation to fight this voter suppression. Um, Fill us in. What specifically is your group, Free Speech for People, doing um, to fight voter suppression? So we are a national nonprofit legal advocacy and public education organization. We were founded on the day of the U.S. Supreme Court's ruling in Citizens United VFEC in January of 2010, which, as we know, swept away a century of precedent barring corporate money in our elections and codified for the first time the false idea that corporations are people with political speech rights. Uh, and that's been a major focus of our work, but we have expanded uh, that work on money and politics to include a fight to protect our elections and protect our right to vote. We initiated a series of emergency voting rights cases last year to protect the November 2020 election that included a case in Arizona on behalf of Mi Familia Vota and Arizona Coalition for Change that sought to extend the voter registration deadline in Arizona because of the impact of the pandemic on voter registration activities when the state was shut down for much of the summer of 2020 and activists who were trying to get people registered couldn't interact uh, with, with those they were seeking to register. We won a federal court order that extended that deadline. Ultimately, it ended up being a, an extension of 10 days that led to 35,000 new voters being registered and able to participate in the November 2020 election. In, in Minnesota, uh, we challenged illegal voter intimidation that was emerging from a Tennessee private mercenary company seeking to recruit ex-special forces soldiers uh, who were going to be used as uh, armed agents to quote-unquote guard polling sites in Minneapolis and St. Paul against Antifa and Black Lives Matter. Uh, this came out in the Washington Post soon after the publication of that article. Uh, we filed a lawsuit in federal court in Minnesota on behalf of the Council on American Islamic Relations in Minnesota and the Legal Women Voters in Minnesota challenging this private Tennessee company's activity is illegal under Section 11B of the Voting Rights Act, which blocks voter intimidation. And we won a federal court order blocking uh, this planned conduct. And then we won a court order consent decree that extends uh, that prohibition through the 2024 election against this company. Let me interrupt. That, that, that's wonderful news, but it, and again, what's old is new again. This reminds me of uh, Nixon hiring Teamsters thugs yes. to beat up anti-war protesters in the streets. Yes, it's it's very similar, and it is very threatening. And, in fact, we are uh, 
sharing the developments of that Minnesota case with government officials, state and federal all across the country, because we think it's critical to know uh, that this model of how to take on voter intimidation needs to be used by others, both at the federal and state authority level, but also by private litigants who seek to enforce Section 11B of the Voting Rights Act. But to answer your question, what we're doing now, uh, we're, we're preparing to challenge some of these new voter suppression laws uh, on similar grounds, on constitutional grounds. Uh, the Voting Rights Act, as we know, was recently gutted further by the Supreme Court, an important section known as Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act was undermined uh, by a recent Supreme Court case known as Bronovich v. Democratic National Committee. Uh, but there still is uh, a clear path to file uh, litigation against against the state for engaging in intentional discrimination under the Voting Rights Act. And many of these laws are designed to intentionally discriminate. It's no secret, in fact, that what they're trying to do is curtail the rights of certain voters, people of color, traditionally disenfranchised communities, young people. Those are their targets, um, and and sometimes uh, elderly as well. They may sweep in some of their own voters uh, that, that are supporters of, of them who will find it difficult to vote. But their main targets are, are Democratic-leaning voters from communities of color, uh, and there is an intent behind this uh, that is crystal clear. Uh, the Department of Justice, in fact, has recently launched a federal lawsuit against Georgia for its voter suppression law, making this very claim of intentional discrimination under the Voting Rights Act. So we are uh, planning to be engaged in those legal fights in certain key states. Uh, we also are engaged at the federal level with a broad coalition that's calling for an end to the filibuster. Fix our Senate is the name of the coalition, and we're pressing members of the Senate to end the filibuster. But we also at Free Speech People are pressing President Joe Biden to join the call for ending the filibuster. He may say, well, I'm the president, I'm not in the Senate, but he has a bully pulpit and the power of the presidency to use here, and we need him to step up. Uh, you know, Lyndon Baines Johnson would not have tolerated a Joe Manchin blocking his way in getting the Civil Rights Act of 1964 enacted or the Voting Rights Act of 1965. We need Joe Biden to follow the mandate of LBJ and get this done. Not to mention Roosevelt. Right. Franklin Roosevelt. Right. <laughs> Here's a guy who literally could not stand up during the latter years of his presidency, but his resolve was that of a individual willing to stand for something. Absolutely. I, sometimes I wonder at the lack of outrage. I mean, why doesn't somebody on the left or the center, the so-called big tent democratic party, invoke images of all of the wars that we have fought defending democracy and what is more fundamental to democracy than the right to vote and the graveyards and cemeteries filled with the bodies of these women and men who've given their lives and yet we're supposed to believe that voter discrimination is a conservative movement there's nothing conservative about right. suppressing the right to vote. I want to talk more about this, and I also want to go back, as I said, to that 
concern about big tech and social media with you, but we need to take a short break. Stay with us. John Bonifaz is my guest from Massachusetts. He's the president and co-founder of a group called Free Speech for People, and we'll be right back after this. You're listening to KPFK. KPFK supporters include the Will Gear Theatricum Botanicum's 2021 Repertory Season, sponsored by the S. Mark Taper Foundation. Shakespeare Classics, A Midsummer Night's Dream, and Julius Caesar Return, plus the world premiere of a new play, The Last Best Small Town. Visitors can picnic before the show in the gardens surrounding the Theatricum's outdoor amphitheater. Tickets and information available at kpfk.org or theatricum.com or by calling 310-455-3723. And we're back with the Ageless Wisdom Ministry School. Our guest today, John Bonifaz, president of Free Speech for People. We're talking about voter suppression. John was just telling us about a a success they had with litigation in, uh, did you say that was Minnesota where the, uh, was in Minnesota, yes. Mercenaries of all things were hired. Tennessee, they, they sought, they sought to engage in hiring ex special forces, the Tennessee private mercenary company, and they were advertising in military publications. Washington Post actually interviewed the CEO of this company, and he was quite clear that they wanted to go in there to Minneapolis and St. Paul prior to the election and start guarding polling sites in their view. Uh, to prevent the threat of Antifa and Black Lives Matter uh, threatening voters, when in fact what they were going to do was to engage in clear voter intimidation in violation of the Voting Rights Act. So we want a court order to block them from doing so. Yeah, because when I think voter security, I think Soldier of Fortune magazine, right? <laughs> yes, yeah. So No, but, it, but you know, it was a sign, really, if, if you take a look at what they were planning to do and what happened on January 6th, it was a sign of our times that this private mercenary company thought they could even get away with this and that they could do an interview with the Washington Post and there'd be no repercussions. I mean, that that is really an example of how far we've come with allowing this kind of voter suppression activity to take place, this kind of authoritarianism to take place, uh, that they thought they, they would be untouchable in terms of their plans uh, with going into Minnesota. I, I think they were quite shocked that they got sued uh, and they were probably even more shocked how swiftly the federal judge, a Trump appointee, by the way, ruled against them. Well, that's great news. Uh, let's talk about big tech here, because your organization is called Free Speech for People. And yet big tech and others on the far right often use the First Amendment and injunctions about Congress shall make no law regarding freedom of speech and assembly and the right to protest and uh, religious freedom and so on and so forth as a cover for their activity and the fact that they're not regulated. This, to me, again, is supremely ironic. I don't think the issue with big tech and the influence of social media on our society is really a free speech issue the problem has to do with the algorithm that pushes like-minded people together. So you can be a conspiracy theorist and suddenly here's all the other conspiracy theorists being pushed right into your face. Correct. You can easily network 
see their propaganda videos, get on their email lists. And this, to me, this series of algorithms that social media uses to collect information, which they then sell. Talk to us about these algorithms pushing us toward other like-minded people and in the process creating separation and isolation and the hostility that comes out of that conflict. Yes. So just in terms of some background, one of our key areas of focus since we were launched on the day of the Citizens United ruling in, in January 2010 has been around unchecked corporate power. And, of course, Citizens United itself was a ruling that unleashed unchecked corporate power into our political process by allowing corporations to spend unlimited funds from their general treasury funds um, and, and making it a, somehow a political speech issue. And what we see with these social media companies is similarly an unchecked corporate power question. These companies, unlike the New York Times, unlike ABC News and other media outlets, they are treated differently under federal law. They're allowed to go unchecked. They somehow are not deemed as publishers, but merely having platforms by which third parties post from all around the world uh, various pieces of information. And they hide behind this blanket immunity that they enjoy currently under federal law when they amplify threats of violence, when they amplify disinformation, uh, and when they engage in defamatory, publishing defamatory material and, and the sort. So what has to happen here is we need to rein in this unchecked corporate power. We need to make clear that social media companies uh, that engage in this algorithmic conduct where they are targeting where the information goes and then engage in amplifying disinformation and threats of violence, that they will be held liable for doing so, that they don't enjoy any more that blanket immunity. And the insurrection on January 6th is a clear example of the danger of having this blanket immunity for the social media giants, because we know that the big lie that was fomented by Donald Trump and his associates was further amplified on Twitter, on Facebook, on 4chan, other social media companies, and that helped drive uh, the insurrection that occurred on January 6th. It drove the big law. It brought thousands of people to the Capitol. It brought them to storm the U.S. Capitol when Donald Trump incited them to do so. Uh, and that kind of liability, if it's in federal law, would change the behavior of these companies. Now, I know there are a lot of people who say, well, let's plead with Facebook. Let's plead with Twitter to you know, take this disinformation and this threat of violence off of their platforms. And that can only go so far. We're not opposed to the notion that Twitter and Facebook ought to engage in taking off this harmful material. But that should not be uh, the the end part of the process. That should only be seen as the beginning. Ultimately, this is not about pleading with the CEOs of social media giants to do the right thing. It's about establishing in the law what they must do and making them liable if they refuse to follow that law. Their behavior will change if they know that they face this kind of liability. And that's why it's so critical that we advance model legislation that will do this. Now, we've drafted model legislation called the Digital Accountability Act that would go far more broadly than, than other bills have gone, that are far more incremental in this area, uh, and that would make it clear that these social media companies no longer enjoy this blanket immunity. Uh, and you can read about that 
model bill on our website at freespeechforpeople.org. But we've recently launched it. We have a video that briefly explains it. Uh, But it's critical to our democracy uh, and to the health of our society uh, that we rein in this unchecked corporate power. I've uh, worked as a journalist, taught at uh, college, broadcast journalism. Uh, There's no greater advocate for free speech than than I, and I know you believe in it. We're participating in that free speech right now. Right. This radio station and Pacifica's mission, um, you know, we're the foremost defenders of, of free speech. But there have always been guardrails. For example, uh, there's that classic example of free speech does not give you the right to falsely shout fire in a crowded theater. Absolutely. You cannot defame or slander an individual and promoting violence. I think people sometimes forget violence is illegal. Right. There are two exceptions that come to mind, uh, or three if you include war and the military. There's always uh, football and hockey, but other than that, most violence is illegal. Right. You can't... You, you can't uh, even domestically, put your hands on each other. Right. The line or the zone, it seems, is at what point does free speech promote violence and and law breaking? Can you comment on that as a, as an attorney? Yes, in fact, you're absolutely right. There is no absolute free speech right to promote violence or to engage in spreading disinformation or engage in publishing defamatory material. And frankly, if the New York Times were to publish threats of violence, they could be held liable. And so there's no reason why if we are going to hold media, traditional media companies accountable for engaging in this kind of conduct, why we wouldn't hold social media companies accountable. Now, what they've tried to say is, well, we're not publishers. We simply have platforms for other people to post And if you regulate us like you regulate the New York Times, then that's going to curtail Internet freedoms all across the world. Uh, But that's not, in fact, uh, true. Uh, What what, what would happen here if our model bill, the Digital Accountability Act, were were to pass is that when people seek to promote violence, promote disinformation, for example, tell us that the COVID virus was a hoax or falsify information about the vaccine and claim that it's dangerous or that it's, um, you know, somehow cooked up by, uh, uh, you know, some left-wing conspiracy or something of that sort. All of that is endangering the the health of our society and it's endangering people's lives. Uh, And that would be curtailed under the Digital Accountability Act because these companies would be held liable for publishing that material uh, and private litigants could hold them liable in federal court. Uh, and I think that's what would change their behavior. You know, people say, well, I, you know, I don't want to be stopped from driving a hundred miles an hour on the highway. Well, you know what? You can be, uh, there, are speeding laws and your behavior is curtailed. I mean, sure. There's some people still will blast through those speeding limits and they'll hopefully get pulled over for endangering people's lives uh, and maybe even, uh, you know, face some uh, criminal repercussions if they keep doing that kind of thing. Uh, but 
but we don't have that kind of regulation in the social media industry right now. It's the Wild West. They can drive 100 miles an hour or more on their own highways, so to speak, and get away with it and endanger people in the process. Let's look beyond your goals of accountability to further regulation. Do you think personally or in terms of your group, um, Free Speech for People, that big tech should be treated like a utility or simply decentralized, uh, like the trust busting of 100 years ago? I mean, what other approach do we need to take, appropriate regulation? Yes, that's a great question. We, we do endorse uh, and have signed on to efforts to break up big tech. We do think that they are monopolies that need to be uh, broken up. Uh, they're too big, uh, and, and that is causing a lot of these problems around unchecked corporate power. And to your point, I think uh, on, on the utility piece, I think that needs to be looked at uh, as well. Uh, I mean, the, the fact is is that what really does need to happen when it comes to ordinary voices uh, getting heard is we need to lift them up uh, more than we do in our society. Big money has such an influence over what we hear, both in our political process uh, and in the media uh, and even on social media. And that drowns out the voices of ordinary citizens. So I think this is a, a critical question for us right now is, is what the role is of big tech in our democracy and, and how we're going to confront uh, this corporate power threat. I think one of the larger overarching concepts that we should all consider from time to time is how dynamic the world is that this new internet technology that's barely 25 years old and Facebook only maybe what 15 at most uh, Twitter about the same age, the other social media, even newer than that has had such a remarkable impact so quickly on society that when we hear conservatives talk about the Constitution in terms of the original intent, or they will say, the Federalists so-called will say, well, I am an originalist. What did the founding fathers intend? Certainly they did not envision the Internet or a computer that you could carry around in your shirt pocket. <laughs> I mean, same with the Second Amendment. We're talking about militia with muskets, not assault rifles. Right. So the challenges we face come out of this rapid change and this accelerating change in society, which really demands that as citizens, we not take our democracy and our rights for granted. We have to be informed and remain informed. Yes. Wouldn't you say? We definitely have to be informed. We have to be vigilant and standing up for our democracy uh, and our right to vote and our right to be heard. But, you know, on the originalist point, I, I think what's ironic is that when you hear people say they, they, they only support, you know, the originalist view of the Constitution, what you don't hear them say in a time of marching toward war is that the War Powers Clause should be enforced, which makes clear that only Congress has the power to send us in uh, to war. Time and time again, we've seen an erosion of that original meaning of 
Article 1, Section 8, Clause 11, the War Powers Clause. Uh, and you don't hear originalists talk about that. You don't hear originalists talk about the fact that the Constitution initially declared that African Americans were three-fifths human and that that had to be uh, changed, uh, that the Constitution was interpreted by the Supreme Court as sanctioning slavery and that that had to be changed with the 13th Amendment abolishing slavery. Uh, so the Constitution has evolved, and it's evolved through the amendment process, through the 27 amendments that have already been enacted and more that need to get enacted to protect our democracy. Uh, but it's also the case uh, that even when you look at the original meaning of some language of the Constitution, uh, the originalists want to look the other way. I'll give you one other example. Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, which of course was enacted after the Civil War, makes clear uh, that anyone who has taken the oath of office and then subsequently engaged in insurrection or given aid or comfort to any insurrectionists should be barred from appearing on the ballot for any future office, barred forever from holding any future office. It was designed to deal with the Confederates after the Civil War, but it remains relevant for us today because after January 6th, we have the insider-in-chief, Donald Trump, who's threatening to run for president again, and we've launched a campaign at 14.3.org, spelled out 14 P O I N T three dot org uh, that that campaign which you can find on our website as well uh, highlights that secretaries of state all across the country now need to follow the mandate of section three of the 14th amendment and bar donald trump and other insurrectionists from the ballot and those who gave aid or comfort but you know the originalists won't won't look at that language because that language uh he really only has one interpretation there's there's no way to suggest uh, that someone who engages in insurrection uh, should be able to hold public office after having taken the oath of office to defend the Constitution. Under that language, it's crystal clear they cannot. Well, another issue I think we should touch on before we wrap it up is the feeling of despair that many people experience when they look at highly centralized corporations. I mean, there's only five media corporations. There's only five corporations from which we get all of our food. Um, the Fortune 500 is now the Fortune 50, really. It's so easy to feel overwhelmed. Like, what can I as a single individual, what can I as a small group of concerned citizens really do? And so I think we need to, at the same time that we look at the society becoming centralized, is recognized that the technology is being decentralized. Every one of us can easily own a computer for $500. You can buy a laptop computer and for a few dollars a month access the Internet and build your own mailing list and network with like-minded women and men and join groups, support groups like yours and so many others that are doing good work. If I, if I can even support KPFK and free speech radio, nonprofit listener sponsored radio, there's a lot that we can do. And I wonder if in conclusion here, you can uh, give us a few words about 
maybe what you do when you feel some despair or hopelessness that you're tilting at windmills and they're never really going to make that much of a difference. Yes. Well, I'll tell you, I think that what really gives me uh, the willingness to keep fighting is knowing our history of those who came before us who kept fighting against so many odds uh, in the civil rights movement, in the abolitionist movement, in the women's suffrage movement, in the labor movement of the 1930s. There are so many examples in our history of people who stood up against enormous odds, some who fought and died uh, for for change. Uh, and and they, they, I think, can continue to inspire us to move forward. Uh, you know, Dr. King said, Dr. Martin Luther King said, the arc of history is long, but it bends toward justice. And he, he was absolutely right. And, and we have to look at that arc and we have to know that we've got to bend. It doesn't bend on its own. It, it, we, we've got to do the work of bending it. I mean, on the, on the corporate power point, I would just come back to the fact that one of the key questions is who owns our politics? Is it big money forces or is it we the people? And one of the questions we've been addressing since our founding uh, at Free Speech for People is this very issue of big money in politics. And of the Fortune 500 companies, the vast majority of them are foreign influenced. They have foreign investors uh, from all around the world. And we have model legislation that's now advanced already in Seattle before the Seattle City Council passed unanimously. That's one before the New York State Senate that's pending in seven states. And it would ban foreign influence corporate spending in our elections. That includes Amazon, Uber, Airbnb, all these companies that are multinational actors trying to influence our politics at the federal, state, and local level. Uh, and that's something people can get engaged in at the at their local community level to put this on the ballot or put it before your city council or your town government or even your state legislature and help us fight back against the flood of big money in our politics and lift up the voices of ordinary people and lift up the promise of political equality for all. That's very well said. Thanks for that. Uh, So, John, how can folks find out more about your group, Free Speech for People? We welcome people joining us at freespeechforpeople.org. You can sign up to get updates uh, to, to find out how you can get involved in your community uh, and you can from our website connect to our blog which gives you regular updates on uh, major developments in our work across the board from voting rights to big money in politics to unchecked corporate power and and to fighting corruption in our government and, and you know all, this is an all hands on deck moment Michael the fact is, is our democracy is under threat like never before uh, and it really does require that people from all walks of life come together and stand up to protect it. And we're proud of free speech for people to work with thousands of people all across the country and, and allies, organizations all across the country that share this vision of a multiracial democracy that will ultimately prevail. There's a sign on the corner down the street from me for a little hospital extension they call urgent care. And I think urgent care is what political activists and socially aware people need to recognize that the nature of caring in a democracy is essential to the democracy working and that that need currently is urgent. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. The urgency is now, yes. 
John Boniface, thank you very much, sir, for your good work and uh, for your willingness to be with us today on KPFK. And uh, let's do it again in the future. Thank you, Michael. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thanks so much. John Bonifaz from freespeechforpeople.org. And we'll be back with more on KPFK right after this. Sometimes when we use something every day, we tend to take it for granted. For instance, you probably don't think much about getting in your car every morning until it needs to be fixed. Well, in a way, your support of KPFK is like preventive maintenance. It's about ensuring the financial stability of this station so that we can continue to provide a service that you use every day. So please do your part to keep KPFK in good operating condition. Take a moment now to go to kpfk.org Org and pledge securely online. Or you can call 818-985-5735. That's 818-985-KPFK. Press 2 to go to the call center. And thank you for helping KPFK to move the conversation forward. We rely on you to maintain our independent voice on air for over 61 years. Thanks for listening. Thank you for pledging. And we're back with the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School on KPFK. Heard at 90.7 FM for Greater Los Angeles. In Santa Barbara, we're at 98.7 FM. Northern San Diego, 93.7 FM. And in the high desert, Ridgecrest and China Lake at 99.5 on the FM dial. Streaming for the world at kpfk.org. And I'd like to thank John Bonifaz for being with us today. I thought the issues that he brought up were real important issues. And when we do a program once a week, the Ageless Wisdom Show about consciousness, we're talking about the ethics and morality that go with being a more conscious person. We're talking about justice, social, economic, political justice, personal justice, of course, But the whole idea of justice, and peace for that matter, really requires a sense of the moral authority that comes with expanded awareness or higher consciousness. That's the connection. So if you wonder why are we doing what sounds like a political program on a show about consciousness, that's it. We're discussing a moral authority that stands beyond politics and, for that matter, above organized religion. An ethic that is built into each one of us, a kind of innate intelligence that we describe usually as conscience, that tells us what's right and what's wrong, and reveals our connection to everyone else. I'm not sure I've ever heard it really discussed, but... Personally, I'm fascinated at the reason a polygraph works. You know, a lie detector. Why does a lie detector work? Well, because the brain knows when you're lying. Even if you organize your conscious mind in such a way that you attempt to deliberately deceive someone, no matter how hard you try to cover it up, the brain and the physical body, will reveal that stress and tension because it's unethical and it's immoral and the brain is wired to favor truth. Isn't that odd? So that lying is stressful unless you're an absolute sociopath or psychopath and 
many people are. The number seems to be growing. That's another story for another time. But the vast majority of human beings have a conscience, and their brain is wired in such a way that to deceive someone, to lie or be untruthful or even somewhat selfish if it means a disregard for others, is stressful, and that stress can be picked up on a machine like the polygraph. Further, it degrades the immune system. Why is illness called dis-ease? And good health comes from being at ease, because telling the truth is part of developing an immune system. It's part of of being healthy, wealthy, and, and wise. Further, when we talk about ethics and morality in this sense, and its impact on society, we really at some point must wonder at the distress that we feel when we sense that we're not making a contribution, that we're not fulfilling our responsibility to carry part of the load. And the false ego self will argue back and say, well, there's nothing you can do, you're just one person. Or you could join some silly little group, but you know that You're not going to have that much impact. Look at these huge corporations that you're fighting. And and the influence, as John was saying, the influence of foreign nations on our elections and the corruption in society. So now you're off the hook. Now you can throw in the towel. Now you can give up. You don't have to do anything. And that's a lie. It's not true. You make a difference every day. You may not be aware of it. Perhaps a silly metaphor, but if you think of the wave at a a football, baseball stadium where one person standing up and lifting their arms, if everybody does that, it's quite spectacular. Or a single lighter. We used to hold up lighters at rock concerts. (laughs) Now it's cell phones. But, But a single light in that huge expanse is meaningless. But if everybody does it, or even most people do it, It's quite extraordinary. A single pencil is easy to break, but put a dozen pencils in a bundle, I defy you to snap them. And so you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You don't have to try to make a difference all by yourself. You can join groups, establish groups that are making a difference. And so it's in that sense that I urge you to get involved, to support this radio station, KPFK, especially now during the summer fund drive. It's a perfect time for you to set up your yearly subscription with Sustainer Circle. I'm asking everyone in my audience and everyone who's listening to my voice, whether you're in Southern California or the center of China, whether you're in Asia or the Middle East, whether you're in Europe, Africa, or South America, if you're listening to this program, you can support it. You can make a contribution to this radio station and the Pacific Mission for free speech, progressive, democratic radio. And it's easy to do. You don't have to come up with a couple of hundred dollars once a year. How about $10 a month? Can I get a commitment You won't even miss it. It's a couple of coffees at Starbucks, 10 bucks a month. As a minimum, that's $120 a year. And you can set it and forget it at kpfk.org forward slash donate. Do it once 
And you only have to think about it once a year when tax time rolls around and you remind yourself or your tax people, oh, yeah, I've got this charitable contribution to KPFK. That's tax deductible, right? Talk to your tax person about that. But do that right now before we conclude this program and say yes to radio programming about consciousness, about awareness. Say yes to health and spirituality. Say yes to progressive politics and social, political, and economic reform. Support this radio station that, in a wilderness of commercial broadcasters, continues with your support to bring you news, information, and entertainment in your interest. You know, in the long run, progressives always win because the universe is progressive. It will always grow. It will expand. Scientists call it inflation. But it's getting bigger, and there's more energy pouring into the universe every day. It's still expanding, and the rate of expansion is accelerating. Everything grows. Even when a wildfire burns down an entire forest, a few weeks or months later, it grows again. It comes back to life. And the urgency of spring, when we see new plants leaping out of the ground, and babies being born, whether farm animals or wildlife, and romping in the fields, and that that urgency to be born, to grow, to reach toward the sun, as if it's the source of life itself. Indeed, it is a source of life, and a pretty good metaphor for the urgency of understanding who you are and what you're for as a progressive. What's more natural than growth and evolution? And so the conservative will always lose in the long run, especially if their principles are corrupted, committed to death and destruction, praying for the end times, for the end of the world. That's a death cult. So right now, before the top of the hour, please go to kpfk.org slash donate. Look for Subscriber Circle and then choose to donate $10 a month or more, $25 a month, $50 a month. Let your conscience be your guide. What can you afford? And how great do you want to feel? Because I set it up at kpfk.org slash donate under Sustainers Circle. A minimum of $10 a month. More if you can afford it. That's all we're asking for. Thanks for being with us today. Make it a habit to join us every Tuesday afternoon at 1 o'clock, 20 hours universal time, for the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. Thanks for listening. Really appreciate it. As always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. This is Michael Benner on KPFK in Los Angeles.